We are making our second stop on this journey through Paul's letter to the Philippians this morning. And it's a letter that's just full of encouragement, full of joy, confidence in God's power and His uh, grace. And uh, the Apostle is is really um, looking forward to unity, pushing for unity in the church. But his heart is just filled to overflowing uh, in this letter. We're going to get a better sense of that as we go on. and a look at Paul's words. If you missed last week, you're just joining us this week. We are starting from the beginning and going all the way to the end. Philippians 1, uh, 1, 1 through 4, uh, 23. So we can capture the thrust of Paul's message, his heart uh, for the church. And trusting the Holy Spirit is going to apply that uh, to our own hearts as individuals, our heart uh, as a church, uh, taking this timeless message uh, to us. And... Uh, I'm going to read the first couple of verses uh, as well. They're pretty short, and then we'll go through verse 11 this morning. Uh, Would you stand with me? I won't get too comfortable quite yet. Uh, So we come under the authority of God's life-giving word. From Philippians chapter 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in my defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you, yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Don't you just want to keep reading after that? Just full of encouragement. What a delight. Let's pray together. Father, we are encouraged through this word. We are thankful for this word. We are grateful that you would share your heart uh, to us. Show us uh, your great love. Show us your mercy and your grace that binds us together. uh, Lord, we pray that we would not just listen this morning, but that we would truly hear, that you would impress the truth of your word upon our hearts. As we've seen the the waters rise and spread in these last uh, many hours, Lord, we pray that your word would would spread, that it would saturate our senses uh, this morning and into this week. We ask your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Life is full of very good intentions, don't you think? Uh, I had some pretty good intentions not long ago. I had been listening to uh, the Piano Guys. Maybe you've heard of this group. Um, It's really just two guys, one piano player and one cello player. Uh, Very, very gifted musicians. And uh, John Smith, who is the piano player, he came out with this piano method of instructing. And it's a a little different, I guess, as piano methods go. You memorize where your fingers are on the keys before you ever look at any notes and ever make any correlation with the notes. And so I was studying this a little bit, and I thought, you know what? 
I'm gonna, I can get to where Laura was. I just gotta, you know, I, I gotta get after this. So I ordered the material and, and I got started and you probably know where this is going. Um, I, I, I was disciplined for a little while. Um, I, could, I probably couldn't show you now, but I could show you then where to put my hands on the keys. Um, but it just, it fell by the wayside. Um, good intentions, it was a good start. But, uh, but never finished it. Maybe, maybe I'll pick it up again someday. But maybe that's you. Maybe you have a, a goal or a project in mind. Something you started and then it drops. And you pick it up again and it drops. And so you just, you just never get there. You never reach the goal. You're just never done with that project. Um, and I, I think it's a, it's a source of frustration for us. Um, you know, to, to see projects through, to reach our intended goal. I mean, can we acknowledge that so much of life's disappointment is trying to reach those, these goals that we set for ourselves, trying to complete these projects? Uh, whether it's at home, at school, um, you're out of school and into the workplace, you set goals for yourself, things you're trying to achieve. I mean, even, even the change of, of, of focus and, and work during a retirement season. Goals not, not realized, things that are tripped up by life circumstances, uh, so many of which we can't fix, so many that are out of our control. Uh, and I think Apostle Paul would understand this. He's, you know, this type of discouragement, this type of frustration, the man is likely in prison. Uh, now, I, you know, I, I don't know for sure, but I, I think he would rather not be in prison. You know, sharing, sharing his, his story sharing the gospel to other people in the Roman Empire. He's not. He's, he's in prison. Um, and yet his heart is full of gratitude. He's rejoicing. We're going to see a lot more of this rejoicing to come. Even when things are not what he expected, when the goals for himself, his goals for the church, uh, outside of his control, outside of his ability to fix, he's grateful. Um, and here's where you think, well, sure. This is the Apostle Paul. I mean, he had a dramatic conversion experience. He's an apostle. He's a miracle worker. He's planted churches all over the place. I mean, certainly Paul can take a little bit of scuffing up, right? I kind of expect this sort of attitude and thankfulness from Paul. Well, the passage we just read, it tempers that a little bit. Paul is not some superhuman being. His heart is full of gratitude because he's not alone. God's grace has converged his path with the path of uh, this church in Philippi. They share life in Christ. They share in this gospel work. And that's how I want to capture these verses this morning. In Paul's prayer, we see a gospel gratitude that, that's desire is for gospel growth. Gospel gratitude and gospel growth. David Brooks, he's a writer for the New York Times, and uh, he put out an article this last, last summer. I don't, don't read him regularly, but uh, he entitled this article, The Structure of Gratitude. It's really very interesting because he talks about how, uh, through his own experience, realizing how much our moods and emotions are shaped by expectations, um, specifically gratitude and thanksgiving. Uh, so you have high expectations that don't pan out, well, you're not going to be all that grateful. Set the bar low, 
low expectations and you're pleasantly surprised, well, then we're, we're grateful, right? Uh, here's how he summarized his findings. He says, gratitude happens when some kindness exceeds expectations, when it is undeserved. Gratitude is a sort of laughter of the heart that comes about after some surprising kindness. Do you hear Paul's laughter? Do you hear his heart laughter here in verses 3 and 4? He didn't deserve any of the support that this church had provided. He's been encouraging the saints here in Philippi and other, other places to come alongside him to share in the work. But he doesn't have this high expectation that the money is just going to keep flowing in. But they've helped. They've encouraged him in a real time of, of need. Even at the end of the letter in chapter 4, verses 14 and 15, he makes this very clear. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partner, partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. So it is, is it any wonder that he has such an affection for this church? They have communicated, Paul, you're not alone. We're with you. We believe in this. We have the same goal in mind. We want to help you. It's been a tremendous encouragement to the Apostle Paul, and he's grateful for this. He's, he's grateful for their material support as an expression of this partnership in the gospel. It's why he's so passionate. This wasn't just a, you know, a one-and-done, one-time gift, and that was it. I mean, there was, uh, there was a, 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 a consistency here that had worked its way into the life of this church. And that's what we see in, in verse 5. The church is grateful for the gospel that had been shared with them. They're grateful for the time that Paul had spent with them, invested in them. And now they're making that investment themselves. They trust Paul. They're confident in what the Lord is doing through them. So this should encourage us. It should encourage us in our giving and our support, really in two primary ways. First, for, for those that we support through prayer, uh, through our financial gifts, through actually going and coming alongside them in the work. They need this. They are human beings. They need to be encouraged. They need to know that they're not alone. So if you uh, look to the back of your bulletin for a second. You know, the, the folks that we have listed here under the, the missionary section. Not, not an exhaustive uh, list by any means of those that we're praying for and those that we're supporting. But we have said as a church, um, you're not alone. We love you. We believe strongly in what it is you're doing, and we want to come alongside you in this. We're committed to you in this work. That's one of the ways. Secondly, our support and giving comes from gratitude. Gratitude of the heart. We're grateful for the grace of God in our lives for those who shared that gospel with us, for those who have shepherded us along the way. The Lord God is so radically committed to us in Christ. Can we not show our commitment in these tangible ways? And we did this just a couple of, of minutes ago. You know, when we pass the, the offering plates around to collect our, our tithes and our offerings, we're not, we're not just taking a break on worship. We're not, we're not calling tea, time out, while we... But we do this. It's an active part of our worship. Gratitude and trust in God's continued work. So we need to offer our support, not only because our brothers and sisters need this, but we need this. 
that sweet fellowship in the gospel. And that's the word that Paul uses here. Um, we read as, as partnership. That's the koinonia, that fellowship that's expressed through encouraging and helping each other in tangible ways. And that, that mutual fellowship and grace is why Paul is exploding with such gratitude. Partnership in gospel proclamation, in verse 4, is with those who are partakers of grace. Verses 7 and 8. For you all, y'all, Paul uses a ton of plural pronouns in this letter. For you all are partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. They share in the saving grace of God themselves. The grace of of God through Paul's ministry among the Gentiles. Um, it's part of the good work that God is doing. Paul knows this. He, you know, we're going to see that. But as a human being, plagued with his own weaknesses, um, the church is with him. They're supporting him. They can do nothing less. I wonder if you and I share that gratitude for the church. Um, do we believe that the God who has showered us with such favor in the Lord Jesus, that's true for the person sitting next to you and behind you and in front of you. Fellowship in the grace of God. It runs deep. It really is the, the strongest camaraderie and friendship that we can have. The deepest friendships and loyalties will be with those whose lives are knit together in Christ. I trust you can, you can testify to this. Uh, Nathaniel and I, just a week before last, we went... Uh, to the airport, see what direction here, the air, airport, that way, I think. Um, there was a meeting of the, the Experimental Aircraft Association. They have their own hangar there, and they were doing a breakfast, so um, we decided to stop in and, and say hi. And uh, as soon as we walked into the hangar, you know, instant connection. You know, we love airplanes, they love airplanes, and we could talk about airplanes. We sat down, enjoyed a good breakfast, and got to know Jim and John at the table, and, and I look forward to getting to know these guys more and their stories. But that connection, that fellowship of the airplane, only goes so deep. It's a shared human experience that is, that's temporal, does not satisfy the deepest longings of our hearts. Airplanes do not meet my deepest needs or the needs of the men that I'm, I'm talking to across the table. But when we learn, if we learn, that this is a brother or sister in Christ, that we're united to Jesus, that we are, we're in the same body in the Lord Jesus, waiting for the return of the one who does satisfy our deepest longings and needs, well then, that fellowship is just, that's anchored now. Not that we're best friends with every Christian. I think we understand that. But the grace of God that, that binds us together, we can... We can love and we can learn to love just as our Savior and King loves us. So I'll unroll that a little bit more uh, to apply that for those of you who, who desire to marry someday and enter into that, that very powerful context for love and learning to love. It should not surprise us or disappoint us that the one we desire to marry also be a partaker of God's saving grace. To love deeply and selflessly can only be done for the glory of God when we have, when we, we've experienced that ourselves, when that undeserved love has been shown to us. That's what Jesus has done. 
That's what Jesus has shown us, his bride. So please consider as you pursue relationships, or hope to someday, if that guy or gal does not love Jesus, they cannot love you the way God has designed and shown us what love is. So the affection that Paul shares here in verse 8, it just lends itself so beautifully to his continued prayer for the church. Gospel gratitude longs for more. It aches for gospel growth among God's people. And I I think that in itself is remarkable. Paul's not praying over his circumstances. He's not praying that he could get out of jail and, and continue traveling. He's praying for the church. He's praying that they would grow in love, growing in the the good work that's already started in them. Here's where we get to verse 6. And several, many commentators think that verse 6 is really the key verse to this entire letter. And I think if we could somehow swim to the depths of this verse, we may find it to be the key to all the Christian experience in verse 6. Here's where I'm going to bring up our good intentions again. Okay, something we start but haven't finished. Consider your walk with the Lord, the journey of faith that you are on right now, the journey of faith that we share together. Who started that? I think we know the answer, but let's look. In fact, let's read it together out loud, verse 6. Here we go. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So I could, I probably should just say amen right there. Um, Do you hear Paul's confidence? Confidence he has for the church. Not because of something that he started. Not because of something that he started and they are continuing. His confidence, the only reason he can pray what he does in verses 9 through 11 is because of what God has started. Of what God continues, what what God must finish. Our relationship to God now and forever is preserved by God himself. Paul, Paul never wanted to become a Christian. Right? I mean, that was never on his radar screen. He's walking, he's going this way. The Lord says, stop, Paul, you're going that way. He takes absolutely no credit for his own life in Christ, for the freedom that he now has. You, me, dead in our sin. No ability, no interest, no desire for God until he he captures our hearts and begins something new in us. Live, God says, to dry bones, heart of stone, and they live. Only God can do this. The Spirit of God awakens us. We begin to see ourselves for who we are before Him. Brings us to our knees in in repentance. It stirs the desire for God. It's only by His grace. And and if, if you're sitting here this morning and you are His, then you know this. Okay, you know what your heart is prone to. You know you can't fix it or finish it on your own. Your every good intention, your, your, your intentions and mine to reach the goal, to see this journey through, they will fail unless God continues that work. And he does. He'll do that until the great day 
that we see our Savior face to face. So if you hear nothing else this morning, which is probably an overused phrase by now, um, hear this. The mercy and grace of God that has rescued you is the grace that keeps you. He must do this. He must. You say, well, what makes you so sure of this? I'll just give you uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 10 as an example. Paul says in another place, For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. If God gave his Son over to death for us, if he brought us back to himself, he will not let us go. It would be a very contradiction of his character to do that. God does not lose things. You and I lose things. Keys, cars, kids maybe. Um, God doesn't do that. He doesn't lose things. Every one of his children, every one of his sheep, the good shepherd carries home. So start unrolling the implications of this in your heart, in your mind. This is God's work on his timeline than everything that happens. Every situation, every life event is part of that good work in you and in all the saints. Everything. The flat tire you had on the way to work that makes you late. The, uh, the passing grade at school in a class. The failing grade in a class. The relationship we're anticipating, the relationship that falls apart, the ups and downs of parenting, children, students, God is completing this good work in you through the fumbles and the foils of your parents. How thankful I am that the way in which my kids turn out and their walk before the Lord is not hinging on my ability to parent. Amen? Amen. In the hands of the Lord. It's his good work in me, his good work in them. So as we view our experiences way through through the grid of God's grace, the good work that he's sure to finish, it changes our perspective. Begin to be more thankful, maybe even rejoice. Lord, I I don't know what you're doing. I don't understand this, but it is a good work. And you will finish it. When my kids were smaller, uh, smaller than they are now. You know, I, I'd squeeze them, and then I'd, I'd loosen my grip, and they'd start to fall. And you squeeze them again, and they go, ah! And then let them go again. And, and after a little while, you've played this game, after a little while, they're, they're anticipating. They're looking forward to it. When's he going to drop me? When's he going to drop me? Oh, and then you squeeze them again. Now, thankfully, I never let them fall. Um, but brothers and sisters, there are times when it feels like God is, is, is doing that, like he's loosening his grip, on us, maybe someone that we love. There are times when our faith seems to be just hanging on by its fingernails. And we doubt. We wonder if we're ever going to make it. We read God's Word and it just seems lifeless to us. We pray and we don't see or experience any, any sort of answer in any timeline that we've come up with. We fall into the same sin over and over again. And so what, what, you know, doubt starts to bubble to the surface. We start sinking into the valleys of, of depression. Take heart. Take heart. God holds you. 
Let, let these words just renew your confidence, renew your hope. He has us firmly in his grip. He's shaping us more and more into the image of his son, Jesus. And that's the goal, right? Jesus is the prize. And get this, we're going to be ready. Okay, if, he, if he holds us, we're not going to miss anything when Jesus gets back. Not because of our good work, not because of our good intentions and our false starts, because of God's good work that he's going to complete. Now, that really is every motivation to walk humbly before God, live in obedience to him. Those whose hearts have not been captured, the hardened heart says, hey, you know, if God's got it, I'm just going to sit back, relax, mind my own business, take care of my business. But the Christian says, hey, if God's got it, if he's doing a good work, then how can I be about anybody else's business? And the fruit of faith, the fruit of righteousness begins to blossom and grow. And that's Paul's prayer here, these last few verses. Gospel gratitude produces gospel growth. Paul does not say here or anywhere else to the church, hey, sit back, you know, let go and let God mentality. Um, it's all going to just pan out in the end. Slam the door on that idea if you hold it. It's nowhere in the Christian message. Paul prays that that love would abound more and more with knowledge uh, and all discernment. He says to the Ephesian church, we are his workmanship. That jives, consistent with Philippians. Created in Christ for good works, which God has prepared for us. You say, wait a minute, God does the work and I'm also working? Yeah, that's exactly right. God's gracious work in us calls us to action. Our labors, our, our striving to obey God is, is the proof. It's the very fruit of faith. And it is a labor. I've been a Christian for any length of time. You know this. It takes diligence and, and discipline. And then in the, in the Bible study on Thursday, downtown and, and here at the church Thursday mornings, I've been going through 1 Timothy. It's a very personal letter from Paul to this young elder. And how many times do we read, train yourself, keep watch, Practice. Be diligent. Those are not passive terms. We're to strive, to strive and, and grow in godliness. And that's Paul's prayer for the church, that their love would grow. Um, but this is the fulfillment of the law. Love is love, love for God, love for neighbor. But he qualifies that a little bit. Love captures the affections. That's part of it. But there is a, there is a behavioral aspect that goes with it. Um, it's not just a... A sentimental, isn't that nice? Love is discerning. Love is wise. It knows how to use and, and when to use knowledge. Recall Paul's words in Romans chapter 12. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind, so that you can test and discern the will of God, what is pleasing and acceptable. He says here in verse 10, what is excellent. Love is always learning. If you love your spouse, if you love your kids, if you love your neighbor, you're learning more about them. What they like, what they don't like. What pushes their buttons. When to push those buttons and when not to. There's a humility, a, a selflessness, a wisdom to love. Paul talks more about these characteristics in a place like uh, 1 Corinthians 13. 
But as we bear the fruit of righteousness, the fruit of of God's Spirit in us, what's the first word that Paul uses in Galatians 5 for this fruit? Love. Love. It should be overflowing. The closer we get to seeing Jesus, we're bearing this fruit. I mean, just, just picture rows and rows of fruit trees, apple trees or pear trees or peach trees, just in full bloom. That's the picture here. Overflowing with love for one another. We do this in grafted, connected to the vine that is Jesus Christ. He's the energy. He's the very sap of this vine. And we are the branches, John chapter 15, bearing fruit for the glory and the praise of God. We do this because we know the day of Christ is coming. Again, in that Roman culture, we mentioned this last week, that you know, grab all you can. Grab the public recognition and the honor that you can. You need to be known and respected. But Paul's prayer here says that recognition for the Christian, for the church, comes later. Honor comes later. Not because we'll be known by everybody, but because Jesus will be fully known by all. So we look forward to the day of Christ. We have nothing to hide because he holds us. So Paul, he pours out his pastoral heart here in chapter 1, just overflowing with gratitude for God's grace, a grace that's united him to the church, united him to this gospel work. He's grateful and he's confident, not in the church's ability, but in God's grace and ability to finish the work. I pray that will be our confidence as well, that he who began a good work in you, in us, will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for this word. and We are trusting you, Lord. Whatever season we may be in in this faith journey, we are trusting you to hold us. We are trusting you to, to continue this sanctifying, this good work in us, the Spirit of Christ. Lord, we can't do this. Forgive us for even trying on our own, but it's only in Christ, only with his energy, his obedience on our behalf. Lord, we thank you for this good work. We pray, come Lord Jesus, come quickly, that our faith would be made sight. We pray this in his name, amen.